Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. We are very excited to present an Artemis podcast series on inspiring women's leadership and conservation. There are a number of reasons why inclusive conservation leadership is vital to the future of our hunting and fishing heritage. Our lands, waters, and wildlife face significant conservation challenges. Working towards effective solutions must draw on the creativity, expertise, and experience of conservation leadership that includes perspectives from all identities and backgrounds. This leadership series will introduce you to dedicated and inspirational women working in all aspects of conservation leadership. We aim to provide insight into their journey and the work that they do. In the end, we aim to inspire you to step into leadership yourself. Together, we will support the next chapter in conservation and help women ascend into local, state, regional, and national conservation leadership roles. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Marsha Brownlee, and we are joined for our, our, I think it's part seven of our leadership series uh, by co-host Sam Petter. Hi, Sam. Hi, Marsha. How are we? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Glad to be back for another episode. Yes. And I'm very excited to talk to our guest. (laughs) Sorry, I am very excited to talk to our guest, but I always am excited to talk to our guest. So I feel like it would be a weird thing for me to say I'm not super excited to talk to our guest today (laughs) in a podcast. I just realized that I repeat myself quite frequently with that phrase, but there's just so much excitement. And our guest today is Kristen Schnepp Geiger. Hi, Kristen. How are you doing today, Marsha? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Man, the sun is shining here and things are turning green in Pennsylvania, so I can't Mm. complain. Nice. And I think before we dive into our leadership topic at hand, we we need to talk about turkeys um, because it is the season and you all have awesome turkey experience. So let's talk turkeys. How's your season going, Kristen? Have you been able to get out much? Well, I'll sum it up for you with one word, um, and that to date is frustration. Mm-hmm. But so it goes with tur- with turkey hunting, right? Um, yep. You know, preseason, I had I had birds in my lap almost every morning, and you know, I, I I'm still not sure if they get the memo from the game commission <laughs> when the season opens, or or really necessarily how that works. But um, to date, they have been smarter than I have early in the mornings, despite. Pre-workout instead of coffee to try to be sharper on my game. They're still winning. Ugh. You, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if the it feels like the peak gobble was just before season started here in Montana too. And so I wonder if they're if they just beat us by a couple weeks this year. Yeah, um, I think it depends the, on your state. Yeah, yeah. When's the Pennsylvania season end? Memorial Day weekend. All right, same here. You guys, we got we got some time. Sam, That's how's right. your turkey season? I've seen them, not not while I'm hunting, but I've seen them in my backyard within 50 yards of uh, where we hunt. So <laughs> they do exist. That was two days before season opener. Um, things occurred and took us away from being able to get in the woods yet, which was not my initial goals, but we should be getting in the woods this weekend, which I'm very excited nice. about. Kind of uh, considering what you know what we're, we're going to walk into, if all the birds are spooked or not, because uh, one area around our, our house gets hit pretty hard. 
because it's one of the public access areas in the the county. So I know, I know they're, they're pushed to private land, but we're going to see what we can do. You just gotta, you just gotta talk real sweet, Sam. Lure them on over. I like you practicing. Hopefully I'll get better at it. Nice. Uh, I went out this weekend and again, it's, it's, it sounds, Sam, like I had similar experiences where life just gets in the way and you're not able to get in the woods as much as you want to, um, which is a bummer. But this weekend, Alex Stockman hosted a turkey camp here in Montana. And so I was able to go out for half a day and at least hang at camp and, and join everybody for dinner. Uh, but I wasn't able to stay and hunt. Uh, but it was a wicked wet weekend. Um, lots of rain, a little bit of snow, not much action. Yeah, we've had horrible rain out, out this way, too. There was a big storm that went through Maryland and Pennsylvania over the weekend, too. So yeah. I, I know that hurt a lot of people's abilities to get out or at least have success. Yeah. So this is, yeah, because I know a turkey's got a turkey no matter what the weather, right? But Kristen, how much do they chill out when it's raining? You know, it depends. Um, you'll find occasional gobblers that will gobble every time it thunders, you know. Um, and then <laughs> a little shot gobbler that's awesome. right exactly exactly and then other times you know it shuts them right up and it's like they have laryngitis and you know they're in mm-hmm. there but you can't buy a gobble to save your life interesting oh well good luck to the all of us for the remaining couple of weeks that we have i think frustration is, has been a good word to describe my season so far too but who knows maybe it'll turn around okay Kristen, tell us a little bit about who you are so I grew up in suburbia, Pennsylvania, um, but despite growing up in, in suburbia, I've always, you know, kind of had that natural want or desire to be outside. Um, mom was mom was a city slicker. Dad was a country bumpkin. So, you know, mm-hmm. we settled in suburbia and um, he uh, dad always hunted the two weeks firearm white-tailed deer season that we have here in Pennsylvania. And um, really that was kind of growing up you know that was just what what he did and finally in high school I said hey dad I said why why don't you take me hunting and he said all right let's go and and uh that was that was the beginning to to me becoming a hunter yeah how how old were you um I was in 10th 10th or 11th grade when I went on my first hunt and do you remember sort of what it was that sparked the interest in in asking your dad to take you yeah so funny story there so actually I had a biology teacher in 10th grade um that was probably probably is solely responsible for me being where I am today um and Mm -hmm. she's the first one that really she she taught her high school biology class more like a wildlife 101 class Um, And we learned about conservation. We learned um, the ties between hunting and conservation. And, um, and really, that's what, that's what set the spark into a flame for me. Nice. Hey, teachers. Oh, in a number of different ways. Yeah, it sounds like because you're, you're, you have a wildlife biology background. And then also, Sparky, she sounds like, she's amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She she lit a lot of flames. She has she you know she's passed away now but um i didn't even know wildlife biology was a thing until she told me about it you know i was just this little high school kid that was running around trying to figure out how many classes i can skip without getting detention and she was that (laughs) teacher that had the you know had the way of 
sitting me down, looking me in the eye and basically saying, hey, um, you know, here's here's where I think your passion lies. And you probably ought to look down some of these avenues, because if you don't, um, you might not like where your life shakes out. Yeah. Wow. I got it. That's a cool story. (laughs) Yeah, it's an awesome story. I got to give a shout out to Mr. Rinaldi from Harold Middle School in Hemfield Township, Pennsylvania, because I had the same exact experience. He was a member of our gun club and sportsman's club and um knew i was going there but didn't connect the career opportunity to it into his class so through some mm-hmm. coercing and, and conversations he uh definitely helped me understand the opportunity in front of me that's amazing so Kristen, how did you talk to us about your um uh experience not experience what's the word that i want journey into conservation leadership So that's a funny, twisty, turny, kind of windy back road, if you will. Um, The best kind of road. Right. Like if you're on pavement, that's straight and dull and boring. So who wants that? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, you know, like I I said, we started out in 10th grade with Mrs. Bolitnikoff was her name. And she's the one that kind of said, hey, you know, Penn State has this fantastic program. You can start out with just a wildlife technology two-year degree dabble your feet in it see if you like it if you do go on get your get your bachelor's and you know if you want to go on beyond that then go on beyond that um so that so i started out at penn state du bois um got that wildlife technology associates degree and then and then a bachelor's degree um, from penn state as well and from there i ended up getting my foot in the door with some absolutely fantastically cool jobs right off the bat um while I was still in college, I was kind of interested in taxidermy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought, all right, I'm just going to kind of look up a taxidermist and give them a, give them a call, you know? And when I go to learn something, I want to learn from the best, right? I don't want the bro science of let's go to the gym and pump iron and get really big. Um, I want somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I looked up a gentleman by the name of Paul Zarnecki. And he owned Tri-State Taxidermy Studio in Waterford, Pennsylvania. Um, and I just called him up and said, hey, I said, I'm kind of interested in taxidermy. You know, I was wondering if uh, if I could come, you know, come out to your studio for a little while. Um, so I went out there and he actually hired me on the spot to help him do some work in his studio. And, um, you know, that was kind of the first, the first time where I was like, man, like there are people out there in this outdoor industry that really, really want to help you learn and grow and, you know, do what, what their passions are, right? Like this guy was a multiple time world champion, um, taxidermist in several different classifications. And here he is teaching me how he does what it is that he does. Um, and then ironically enough, he also called in the very first turkey I ever shot. So, Mm -hmm. um, he's a pretty cool guy. So, so I had wait, wait, did of... you did you taxidermy that turkey? So, so funny story. So we went out and I shot this bird. It was a Jake. And, you know, I was in college at that point in time. And I'm super excited because I just killed my first turkey. But at the same time, like that thought goes through your head of, man, I work for a taxidermist and I just killed a Jake. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. And I looked at Paul. <laughs> 
And I had done a number of tail fan mounts for customers for him up to that point. And he looked at me and he goes, well, you're going to tail fan mount that when we get back to the shop, aren't you? And I was like, eh, you know, maybe, I don't know. And he looks at me and he goes, Kristen, he said, you only ever get one first bird. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I went back yeah. and he literally paid me to do a tail fan mount on the bird that he took me out and I harvested. Oh, how amazing. awesome is that? <laughs> Right, right. Really and you didn't cool. have to do that. Yeah. I detoured um, us off of that side <laughs> on that little side road to talk about your Jake. Um, no, that's good. So he's still hanging in my kitchen to this day. Nice. Uh, excellent. So keep keep us on that twisty, windy conservation leadership road that I detoured us off of. Um, <laughs> right. So, you, so, then, um, so then I ended up out and I got a phone call to work out in Yellowstone National Park. Um, when I got the phone call, I thought it was a prank and because <laughs> I have friends that would do something like that. Right. And, and I bit my tongue just enough to not say who put you up to this. And I figured out that it was actually legit. And, um, so I skipped my, I skipped my college graduation cause I wanted to get out to Yellowstone early and went out there and, and I did a couple seasonal gigs out in Yellowstone. Um, so when you get paid to run around and track grizzly bears with telemetry equipment, like that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. And if you don't think that's pretty freaking cool, we probably can't be friends. Um, <laughs> it was an absolute blast. I met people literally from all over the world. Um, and it taught me a lot about looking at conservation from different perspectives and different cultures, right? Because that's like the Mecca of people from all over the world coming to one spot in our country um, to understand and appreciate the wildlife that we have. So not only that, but it was a completely different world because here I am a Pennsylvania girl in Wyoming, you know, which was culture shock in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for a couple of years, ended up back in Pennsylvania, um, got married, started a family and started working with Allegheny National Forest, um, and then on to working with the National Wild Turkey Federation, which is um, where I've been for about the last 10 years now. Nice. Um, and then you're also a commissioner. How'd that happen? So I actually got a phone call from a couple different people, and, um, and they said to me, hey, Kristen, the, the seat for District 1, which is my district here in Pennsylvania, the seat for that commissionership is is up, and I really think you ought to consider throwing your hat in the ring for that. Mm -hmm. So I thought about it. Um, I had a you know a ton going on in my life, but really, who doesn't, right? I mean, that's kind of a terrible excuse to use these days. Um, when was the last time you talked to somebody and they said they were bored? Like, <laughs> they have nothing going on at all, uh, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, but anyways, needless to say, I use that as an excuse of, you know, holy crap, like, um, I'm pretty busy. I don't know that I have the time for this because this is a strictly volunteer position position. And, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like it was not having enough time is a convenient excuse for, I don't know if I want to do this or not. Right. Um, so, so, but it was, it piqued my interest enough that I pursued it a little bit. Um, and actually what I did was 
I called up a couple of the seated commissioners and just basically mm-hmm. kind of interviewed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I took the stance of, look, if the folks that are in there now are open-minded, um, you know, willing to work with you kind of folks, this could be a fantastic opportunity. But mm-hmm. honestly, if they're a bunch of crotchety old men, I've got better things to do with my time. So, I mean, that was my, that was my take it or leave it kind of approach. Um, yeah. You know, I've had a, enough stuff go on in my life that I realized that there's got to be, there's got to be something of value in order for me to throw my time, energy, and commitment towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to several of the commissioners and they actually were fantastic people. Um, I thought, I, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe they kind of just told me what I wanted to hear. And um, so I called up Brian Burhans, who's our executive director for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Um, and I've known Brian personally for a number of years. And I asked Brian, I said, Brian, I said, what's the culture of your board like? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, Kristen, he said, I have worked with a number of boards throughout my career in the private industry, um, in government industry. And this is one of the best boards I have ever had the pleasure of working with. Wow. And I said, Brian, are you serious? <laughs> he, said, he said, Kristen, I wouldn't, he said, I wouldn't kid you about this. He said, I'm a hundred percent serious. Yeah. Um, and he was right. So, so I threw my hat in the ring, you know, I went through the political process that's involved in, in, you know, getting seated on a state agency board and, uh, and the culture is great, you know, and it didn't take long for me to realize that the culture is great because of the leadership that Brian has, um, both with his board and with his, with his, um, senior staff. And the culture that he facilitates there is something probably unlike any any other or many other state agencies in this country. Yeah, I really appreciate that uh, that research that went into whether or not this is a board that I want to serve on because I think there's so much that we consider um, about ourselves when we're considering taking on a leadership role, but knowing what you're getting into is so important and, and like you can choose either way. It, you can know you're getting into a bad situation and, tr- and go in knowing that you're going to try and make it better. Um, sure. Or you can make, you know, make sure that the culture you're going into is one that's going to be a productive one. Uh, but that research is, is, is so important. And I think so often we're uh, too busy being honored that we were asked or considered to make sure that it's a, it's something that, that, uh, to do that level of research, if that makes sense. Sure. I really can't wait to dive into this, that kind of aspect of the commission pursuit or a leadership position pursuit in general, have you always approached such an opportunity for like a commissioner spot or something like that and investigated it before agreeing to put your hat in the ring? Or have you always just jumped in in the past? So, um, actually, I've had some life experiences that have shifted that 180 degrees. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so when I was younger, um, like when the Yellowstone opportunity came up, I mean, it was a no-brainer. As soon as I figured out that somebody was going to pay me to live in Yellowstone, <laughs> I was like, I'm there. Like, packing my bags right now, I'm out. Um, my parents were not really thrilled about me not going to college graduation, but that I didn't care. Honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't care. 
Um, and so I jumped in two feet, ready to roll. And in that case, it worked out really, really well. And I was super lucky. Um, I went through losing my husband in 2016. Um, and then I, I found myself a solo parent with a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, and when something like that happens, you end up taking a completely different approach to life in general. Um, and so that's why um, I knew that this would be a huge time commitment. Um, and if it was something that was going to take me away from the kids, it needed to be something worthwhile. It, I, could not, I couldn't justify spending that kind of time away from them just to beat my head against a brick wall. Totally can understand that. Totally can understand that. Yeah. It's so interesting. I appreciate that perspective shift that happens when suddenly you there are non-negotiable priorities, right? You can't put yourself in a situation um, that that costs more than you're willing to pay, whether it's time or attention or whatever. Uh, and it's interesting how how that lends itself to a uh, oftentimes lends itself to that shift in perspective of um, is this situation right for me more so than I think I know more so than I know I had in my youth. Right. Absolutely. Agreed. And, and I think, you know, I have a lot of friends I've talked to, especially as we continue down this road of this leadership and, and highlighting the opportunities for women. A lot of people are like, well, how did you know it was a good fit? And I've often like reflected back and thought like, what have I learned? And, and similar to your experience, Kristen, over time, I started to ask the different questions. And I think my, my mindset shifted from always being, well, I'm so lucky to be considered to more so now I have skills to offer and champion causes. But like you said, I need to have the right environment in which I'm successful. And so figuring out and advocating for myself and ensuring, you know, it's a safe spot, ensuring I'll be heard, ensuring that, you know, all, all perspectives are considered before a final decision is made. Those are the elements I've identified as secure and, and worth the investment of my time. And, and I, even to say that, that phrase to me is really challenging sometimes because like, you know, I want to help everything I can, but at the same time, my, my time is valuable. Um, don't have kids yet, maybe in the future, but like, that's kind of a concept I know I'm going to have to grapple with too. And so that perspective shift of I'll do anything and help anybody to I can help people and be more strategic has been a point of growth, I think. And I think a lot of people, rising female conservation leaders are, are out there in that same boat right now, figuring that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's a, there's a term out there called toxic productivity, right? And I think, <laughs> I think a lot of women and, and young professionals find themselves just absolutely lost in the grind. And then, you get to a point where you realize that, that what you're doing is not sustainable. And then you wrestle with, okay, so somehow I have to admit to myself that this is not sustainable. And then beyond that, how do I prioritize without, without inflating myself, right? Like how do I set those boundaries and those expectations um, without, 
coming across like I'm sounding like an entitled, spoiled brat. Because that was a that was a major internal conflict for me early on, where when I had to say I don't have the time for this, um, I knew internally I don't have the time means I don't want to do that. And really, that's what it boils down to for everyone. So when you can justify, I you know I have to turn this opportunity down because of ultimately that's better for everyone, you know. And and I think that's. I think that's part of the message that gets lost um, because that vacant position that, that is still there because you said no is an open door for somebody else to walk through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important because uh, it, it's an agreement, right? It's an opportunity for sure, but it's also an agreement and both sides need to be all in on that agreement in order for it to be, to move forward productively. and. And I think we struggle with uh, saying no, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no is a full sentence is something that I still tell myself every day. Um, and passing up opportunities. Um, it's it's interesting how hard that can be sometimes for just a, a variety of reasons. Well, exactly. It's a, it's a mix between fear of missing out, FOMO, and must syndrome there's a different term but I'm not going to a podcast but I must (laughs) do this I'm involved in this so if I care about conservation I must do this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the opposite that is well if I'm not there am I going to miss an opportunity to contribute or or you know participate in something that's ground changing in our state you know or, or in our country and for between those two things and being able to separate through that that fog and say, okay, not right now, now's not the time is it's a really, really um, golden opportunity to know thyself and apply it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And going back to toxic productivity as well, I heard somebody the other day a while back describe themselves as having been able to overproduce successfully for decades. And it was just like, oh my God, I've been successfully overproducing for decades myself. <laughs> and let's, right. let's change that. Well, so a question regarding that. Kristen, is the Game Commission and your leadership role here the one conservation leadership thing you do, or do you do other things as well? Um, in the conservation arena, that's my, that would be my biggest leadership role for sure, without question. Um, because the, you know, the decisions that we make are not only impacting the staff of, of the state agency as far as how they implement their jobs on a day-to-day basis, but it also impacts, you know, 800,000 license buyers that we have in the state. And that's huge. Do you do other mm-hmm. leadership roles as well? Um, so in, so I mentioned before that I lost my husband in 2016. In 2018, um, I started dating a a new guy who ironically was from Wyoming. Um, (laughs) and he moved to Pennsylvania and in the last few years, he said, look, he said, if I'm, if I'm going to leave my mountains and my elk hunting and move to Pennsylvania, he said, nobody's going to tell me what I'm worth. I'm not going anywhere to get a job. I'm going to I'm going to start my own business. I said, okay, fantastic. Let's do this. Well, 
that was one of those where I kind of jumped in with both feet and he jumped in with both feet and we learned a lot, you know, in short order. But, um, you know, the long and the short of it is, is I help him out with, um, with the business that he started quite a bit. You know, we, we essentially run it together. So the hiring, the firing, the books, you know, um, all of, all of the things associated with running a business and managing the employees, um, I also hold as a very high leadership role because at the end of the day, it's on our shoulders to make payroll and put food on the table for these families that are counting on us. You know, they're our employees and, um, you know, we've got to, we've got to do right by them too. Well, and I think that goes back to the leadership you were talking about at the commission. So like that work culture and that leadership is so important to a productive and, and, content work environment leadership is leadership across the board Mm -hmm. yeah there's so many different similarities if you will um and you know as we started as we started um embarking on being business owners and i'm throwing my hat in the ring to become a commissioner and we're blending warren into a father figure role for kids who have buried their dad um Leadership becomes important literally in every facet of your life from professional to personal. And if you don't think leadership plays a role in your personal life, you are missing a huge opportunity. Can you say more about that? I, I think you're, I agree 100%, uh, but I would love to dig into a little bit more what you mean by leadership. So um, I actually have invested quite a bit in various leadership trainings, books, podcasts, the whole nine. Honestly, I'm not a reader. I wish I was, but it's the cure for insomnia for me. And, and I, I, I can't do it. Um, but Audible is like my new best friend, especially with mm-hmm. the amount of driving that I do. Um, so I've listened, listened to some pretty fantastic books um, on, on Audible. And I've also started um i've joined a leadership forum called echelon front um it's done by the folks that wrote extreme ownership and then leadership strategy and tactics they were some uh they're former navy seals and they wrote about what they learned as going through combat in ramadi iraq in like 2006 and 2007 and the premise for what they do in their book extreme ownership is taking 100% ownership over literally every aspect of your life, whether it's from a combat perspective, from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, um, because they work with companies across the country now. um, And they say, look, it's as a leader, it's not all about you, but it's all on you. Um, And I say, look, if you, you know, if your employee was supposed to have Tuesday off, And then all of a sudden on Sunday, you're realizing, holy crap, like he never told me he wanted Tuesday off. You know, there was a breakdown in communication. And as the leader, that's on you. And that's also on you to fix it. Um, So when you take that approach and you take that approach with a massive amount of humility, um, that really, really helps to form relationships, um, very good, very positive relationships. And 
it gets you to a way, way, way higher level of productivity than you would ever get if you pointed fingers back and forth and he said, she said, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's several times we're running 15 different directions and something didn't get put in the family calendar, right? And so I thought maybe Timmy needed picked up from wrestling practice at seven o'clock, but it was supposed to be 6.30 and all of a sudden nobody's there to get him. And, you know, there's no there's no room for, hey, well, you didn't put it in the calendar right, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. Um, you know, taking taking the ownership and the leadership in that um, and doing it in a, in a, like I said, in a way with a level of humility um, really fosters people to work together in a, in a productive manner instead of antagonistically, you know, in a, in a blame game sort of thing. That reminds me of, um, so I had the pleasure of working with Tracy Stone Manning uh, when she was at the National Wildlife Federation. And of course, she's now uh, director of the Bureau of Land Management, but she's quite frankly, the best leader that I've ever worked for. Um, and I have a lot of respect and admiration for her. And I remember we were just in a team meeting talking about um, strategy. For, and she was talking about the way that she approaches her leadership. Uh, and that really, she feels like it's a it's a series of problem solving. You look at a situation, you see what's the problem and how can I solve it. Um, mm-hmm. And and it takes it's it reminds me of what you're saying, right? Like, what happened is that the time was entered incorrectly about what time we needed to pick him up. That's the problem. How do we solve it? So it takes away that that yes, that personalization and that that interpersonal conflict. And it's like, mm-hmm. what's the problem here and how do we solve it? Um, and problem can be such a all-encompassing word, <laughs> right? It could, maybe it's a logistical oh, yeah. problem. Maybe it's a policy problem. Maybe it is a personnel problem. Um, but what's the problem and how do we solve it? And and that straightforward approach to leadership, it just opened my mind in so many different ways, primarily because I think a lot of times when leaders are confronted with situations that aren't working, it feels burdensome, right? It's like, oh, it's another thing that I have to take on. There's like this emotional weight to it. But if you approach it, like that's what your role is. Your role as a leader is to solve problems. Um, then it kind of removes that that for me, it removes that emotional weight of the next time a problem arises. It's like, no, this is what you signed up for. Yeah, absolutely. And when you can take that, you don't want to remove emotion completely, right? But when you right. can take it, take that step back and detach and realize that, especially in the conservation arena, whether, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we're dealing with when should we open firearms deer season or should we allow e-bikes on state game lands or or whatever i mean you're dealing with people's passions and when you deal with people's passions they get super emotional i mean you mm-hmm. might as well be having a talk about politics or religion when you're talking about conservation with a hunter um, you are that's so true you are it all in one you're talking about politics and religion because it's such a oh, deeply held value yeah it, and, and at the end of the day, um, it doesn't mean that they're right or you're right, you know, mm-hmm. and so many things that we deal with in conservation are not black and white. And you can't, you can't take that hard line approach of this, but not that, um, yep. because there's so much gray area in there um, that, that being able to detach from your emotions and, and make calls that way and solve issues that way um, is the best way I think to 
to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. I mean, this hits home for me so, so closely. And in Christine, you and I have talked to Marsha, you know, too. But like, I think you eloquently positioned it that at times your passion has driven you to these opportunities but your knowledge and what you've learned and your um, developing leadership skills put you in a place where it might conflict with your passion, but you know, for, you know, long-term it might be better off. And that's something I think just in the, in the Pennsylvania arena, but also in the larger conservation arena, we're facing more of that, that um, dichotomy is not the right word, but that positioning of two, two different things where you love everything. You don't want anything to change. You enjoy what you're doing, but at the same time, some of the leadership, activities you're looking at in responsibilities and decisions you have to make are, are better for the long term potentially and I think that's an aspect of leadership that maybe perhaps some people don't accept as they're going into it just alongside with the, the responsibility of, of problem solving you've, you've just eloquently highlighted two aspects of leadership that are, are often not considered when people sign up for positions I think it's great that you're sharing that yeah it's tough when when you face a situation and you know your your heart or your emotions immediately sends you one way right and then you get to thinking about it and talking about it and 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 combing through it a little bit more and if you're able to um to detach from that personal emotion and that personal tie and step back and look at that 30,000 foot approach and, and the greater good and the future versus what's in it for me and what do I want. Um, it's a super humbling experience, honestly. It's very humbling. Mm -hmm. it, and it, it is, um, Sam, thank you for pointing it out because that is like we get most of us take on these leadership roles because it's something that we care so deeply about um, and that can at times, obviously, it's an important driver and 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 the passion for what we do. Uh, but it can also, if we let it, be a blinder, and that's not what it needs to be. It it needs to, you know, it needs to feed the fire of the passion, uh, but not at the expense of the bigger picture um, and the multiple stakeholders involved. Agree. I think one of the first lessons I learned in the conservation space. And Kristen, I think you described it as a brick wall. And I relate to that in the fact that the, the notion that it's always been done that way means it has to always be done that way in the future was one of the first brick walls I hit. And for me, that became one of the first questions or checks and balances I posed to myself when coming up against these decision points in a leadership role. Because we've done it, does that mean we have to do it? And I think it's mm -hmm. is a, um, a meme I saw on, online that ref referred to it as a old horse syndrome or something like that. And it's just, just because we did it doesn't mean we have to. And now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, if I'm standing in the way of innovation, why am I doing it? Am I filling a good role or am I, am I being a bearer right now? And should I step aside? And that's been something as well that I've just have to, you know, it's easily, I think it was the first one that was easily for me to kind of consider and look at and say, okay, nope, let it pass. And, and just know my role in that conversation. Um, and I think there's been other ones too, but questions you pose to yourself as you deal with these challenging situations and leadership roles. I think as, um, you know, as leaders, when we can, when we can take that kind of approach to it, um, 
and we have somebody that comes to us with a different idea, that means one of two things. Either we haven't explained why something has been done the way it has been done for so long effectively to them because they don't understand it or they have a better option, you know? And, and as leaders, I think it is super important for us to keep an open mind, um, be able to articulate why it is that we do what we do. And if they, you know, if folks come back still with other questions and other ideas, there's a very, very likely possibility that they're looking at this through a lens that we haven't even considered. And I think that's so important when, when you have those new ideas is, is to look at it through a lens of possibility instead of through a lens of negativity. Like see how, like try really hard to see how it could work instead of trying really hard to see how it couldn't. Um, because I think so often new ideas that go against the way we've already done it are met with uh, skepticism instead of looking, like you said, with an open mind to see what the possibility is. Absolutely. So uh, on the subject of welcoming new ideas and, and considering when people deliver new ideas to you, Similar to that concept is mentoring. In the topic I, when we built <laughs> get out of my head, Sam Petter. <laughs> when we talked about what topics we want to talk about with this series and this podcast, and even just in developing the, the initial leadership training, there was this whole idea of mentoring. And, and you know, R three R three is awesome, but not mentoring a new hunter, mentoring colleagues or or fellow leaders into leadership roles. And so, Chris, and I know when we chatted probably, what, a couple months ago, I don't remember exactly the time frame, but you had talked about a new commissioner coming on board. And mm -hmm. you really influenced me, and, and Marsha also, just like, and how you've, like, shared your experiences with me, too. The idea of, like, once you get your foot in the door, making that, that opportunity uh, and, and pushing that door open for others to follow and mentoring them along to learn the ropes is something, you know, I've always gravitated towards, but it's such an important aspect of the conversation we're having. I would just love for Kristen to kind of share and highlight what, what she's doing and, and, you know, what that means to her and what that potentially can mean to others. So, um, you know, it's, it's funny, right? And as, as women, as mothers, as, as leaders, we kind of grapple between, you know, keeping a level of humility and, holy cow, I, you know, I, I can't possibly, or, or I did, or, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, that, so we have two new commissioners that have been seated since I was seated. Um, I'm still the youngest one on the board. So the, the thoughts, I guess, a personal struggle, struggle for me is the thought of, of mentoring people who are older than me is a little bit of a, of an oxymoron. Right. But at the same time, it's not necessarily. Um, so when, when the two new individuals came on board, um, my, my number one goal, uh, for both of them and for the other commissioners was to make sure that we, we retained the culture that the board had, right. That we kept a, we kept a positive, we kept a respectful culture, um, but one that was not afraid to question things. You know, there's a, there are a couple other commissioners that, you know, they they and I have gone toe to toe on a few different issues, and 
and ultimately we don't necessarily agree. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't respect each other and we can't, uh, you know, we can't move forward and move beyond that. And so for me, when we're bringing new people on board, it is critically important to say, hey, look, like we absolutely want there to be tough conversations. We want the tough conversations because we're not going to move this agency in a positive direction or do the right things if there's no conversations, you know, or if everybody always thinks alike, that's super boring. And um, those tough conversations, if they're not handled the right way, can lead to a very divisive board. And that's happened in this state before and in many, many, many other states and on countless other boards, right? People disagree and somebody's feelings get hurt and egos get in the way. Um, and folks cannot take a step back and say, hey, look, you know, you and I might not agree on this particular issue, but whether it goes your way or my way when it comes time to vote is not going to mean that somebody's living or dying, right? Like we're not making that kind of decision. So let's let's vote, let's move on to the next issue and let's talk about the next thing at hand. Um, so making sure that we maintain that culture was 100% at the very, very forefront of everything when we brought two new commissioners on board. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that, <laughs> right? Because I agree, it's it's incredibly important, and it's it's how the best decisions are made, and it's not something that uh, that we're all very good at. So, how do you, if you're bringing somebody new into that culture, how do you scaffold them to a point where where they are comfortable with that and able to engage in it? It's a process that takes a lot of time. And a lot of energy. Um, it's a process that starts before the new people come on board, and it starts by maintaining positive relationships with the people that you're currently working with. And I don't want this to sound like rainbows and unicorns, right? When I say positive relationships and you know, blah blah blah, like this is not a rainbows and unicorns world. There's issues that come up, and people disagree. Um, but making sure that you as an individual maintain your composure um, when you're dealing with with contentious issues or emotional issues um, it's how you lay that foundation to have good relationships with the current board and once you have good relationships with the current board that allows that particular individual to be the facilitator between the newbies and the existing board um, to you know bring them into the fold So a little bit of a mediator role in some it's ways. It's very much a mediator role. Yep, absolutely. It's, um, it's a mediator role, but also while ensuring, when you first initially said you want to keep the culture the way it is, I had to listen and, and kind of hear what you were saying. You talk about respect and communication. It's It's a mediator role, but it's also like a, a trust role too, I think, is a way to put it, because you're you're ensuring by advocating for this and by posturing this way, or or at least encouraging conversation in this manner, that other people, whether new or old, are having 
having ability to share their thoughts. And that's huge. That that ensures an environment in which when I invest my time and bring my thoughts to the table, they're at least considered. And advocating for that culture ensures success of others. Even if, again, like you described, they don't agree, they at least feel heard. And that that's half the exactly. battle with leadership and imposter syndrome, right? It's I'm mm-hmm. giving ideas if they're not heard and not considered, then am I am I sure I want to be here? You're ensuring that their ideas are at least heard, whether they agree or not, that's different. But that that advocacy is huge. And I would take it a step further to say, like, that's the most important part of the relationship, too, is feeling heard, right? Like, we don't need, nobody needs to agree with 100% of everything we say, but we need to feel like they listened. (laughs) Um, And if that's the environment, then that goes a long way to maintaining the relationship, too. Yeah, that's no different, you know, when, when we're talking about, as commissioners, listening to public comment. And that's one of the reasons that we have public comment is so that our constituents, hunters and citizens of Pennsylvania can voice their opinions and be heard by the people who are making the decisions that are impacting those issues. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back uh, again to something you said earlier, Kristen, about how um, uh, how important it is to say, okay, they're bringing this issue forward again. That must mean I haven't done a good enough job explaining, right? And so it's like a part of the part of the conversation and part of the comment is understanding where the misunderstanding is, uh, and 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 I think that goes with co- public comment as well. It's an opportunity to hear what is important to the public and how they're thinking about it. And it's also an opportunity to think really deeply about how we can do a better job communicating what we're trying to communicate. Yeah, we've had several instances here in Pennsylvania where we've made decisions that were not wildly popular. And you hear from those segments of the public, which I mean, you should, that's the process, right? And when you explain, you know, and I can have a phone conversation or an email conversation and explain in a more one-on-one level why I voted the way I did, more often than not, um, you know, those individuals will come back and say, all right, I don't agree with it, but I get it. You know, and those are the, those are the people, quite honestly, that are able to check their own emotions and their own self-interests and look at the bigger picture. There's so many thoughts as a Pennsylvania resident to share, but I'll save those for side conversations in the future. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kristen, sitting there and engaging in conversation too. It, it makes me happy, Kristen, that you're there. It's, you know, it's fun. And, and I, you know, I take the approach of, look, if, if I'm voting on an issue and I can't, I can't articulate why I voted the way I voted in a manner that that gets an individual to at least understand why I did what I did. Then either A, I made the wrong decision, or B, I am not explaining myself very well. You know, occasionally you will get that one hunter that quite honestly is like trying to rationalize with your drunk college roommate, and it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Right. We've all been there. We've done that. Yep. You'll, you will meet those people. Um, but by and large, if you can explain your positioning in a manner that most people can at least say, I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. 
then you probably then you have done something wrong. And whether that something is you've made the wrong decision or you need to figure out how to wordsmith yourself a little bit better, you know, it's it's one or the other. And and that's what leadership is, right? Is is it's a constant learning process. Um, you know, we're all trying to get better at this game called life every single day. And every conversation that we engage in and every email that we have is another opportunity for us to learn. Right. And as leaders, if we don't take that approach, then we're not really growing and in, in serving in the capacity that we should be in our leadership roles. Yep. I could agree more with that. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, as we look back on like the purpose of a podcast and stuff, we've highlighted, if anything else, this has been the, the, the episode that's most rich in leadership qualities to fill a role. And naturally imposter syndrome did not come up once whereas in other conversations it did and I think this is like a great complimentary to the other episodes because you're at you're identifying like skills to develop skills to embrace and the realization that you're not going to be perfect from the start and I I appreciate that so much because there's so many people people have been engaging that are just sitting back and saying like I can't do that well now now they're hearing something like maybe I can do that but I got to work on stuff and you're kind of present a position that you can do it and still continue to work on stuff like that's that's why you're engaging in these roles is to continue to work on these topics too and I think that's that's just a great example for other aspiring female leaders and I I think I I mean I think I probably lean on this comparison a little too much sometimes but I feel like whatever I'm the program director for Artemis um but there's so much in hunting and fishing and the humility you have to have when you're in the field and the learning trajectory of becoming effective um in the field as a hunter and angler that are life lessons right you'll never know everything um you're constantly learning uh and you have to show up to each day um, not knowing what to expect. And and I think that translates to leadership. If you ever get to a point where you think you know everything, you should stop leading. <laughs> Either that or you're about to get humbled, one or the other. <laughs> real hard. <laughs> humbled real hard. Humbling's coming. I'm curious, Kristen, because I think, uh, you know, we talk about, particularly when I, I think when it comes to a commission, in that public service role and the multiple stakeholders and just the complexity of the issues that you're dealing with. You know, we talk about making difficult decisions uh, and and talk about making a vote that you uh, can explain, but coming, how do you come to that decision? How do you have a process? And I'm not, I'm speaking a little bit more specifically about process. What's your process for, for forming a decision? in the midst of these complexities and this, these numerous stakeholders? So, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. I don't have a cookie cutter recipe because some things, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be faced with a decision and I will immediately think I'm going this direction. And so when, when that's my hunch is I need to vote yes to this instead of no, um, then, then what I do is I go over to the other side you know, and, and try to have them convince me otherwise. Um, because if I get the people on the other side to try to convince me and, or on that issue or, or whatever it is, um, 
and I'm still leaning my initial way, then I, then I can back that up and I can articulate that decision, you know, across the board. And it's not just a knee jerk reaction. This is what I think. And that's the way I voted. Um, so, or if there's something that literally, I don't really, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, whether it's, you know, a particular regulation about a, a firearm to use or archery equipment to use or whatever. And, and it might be something that honestly doesn't impact me one way or the other. Um, then I say, okay, what, what is the maximum level of opportunity that we can give hunters of Pennsylvania that the resource will also sustain? Right. So if we can maximize opportunity without it being a detriment to the resource, that is it's a very critical filter for me to look through as a commissioner. Um, because if I'm kind of like, eh, not a big deal, let's not do that. You know, let's let's not offer this particular season, but there's no reason why we can't offer that particular season. Um, then I'm not really doing my job as a commissioner because we're supposed to manage state's wildlife resources in a in a you know in a way that folks can get out there and can can chase what they love and enjoy time in Pennsylvania's woods um, and that's what commissioners across the country are charged with so if we can maximize opportunity without it being a detriment to the resource um, that's a that's a cornerstone as far as decision making is concerned Thank you for that. I think it's, I, I appreciate the intention of uh, seeking out opposing perspectives. And I think we would all benefit if we did that more often. Yeah, I think it's, well, and not only that, but you learn a lot more about the particular issue. About the issue. At uh -huh. hand. You know, yep. I mean, there have been times that I've gone to the other side and said, hey, you know, said, hey, you know, I'm facing this particular decision. This is your wheelhouse. Like, sell me on this. Please sell yeah. me on this. Um, and then a lot of times they'll tell me things where I'm like, man, this particular aspect is not enforceable from from our game warden's law enforcement standpoint. Like, I can't, I can't say yes to the regulation as it's written and expect our game wardens to be able to enforce it. Right. Um, you know, and, and so instances like that where, I can then articulate that back to some of these people on the other side and say, look, like, I understand you wanted that and you would probably, you know, have been fine utilizing that, but there are ways that this would have been abused by others. And that was not taken into account for when that regulation was written. And here's why, you know, when, when you put it to them in, in a context like that, um, that's when it comes back with, well, I don't necessarily like it but I can live with it. Yeah. And I, I, I love that rule of um, collaborative decision-making too. It's like, not everybody's got to love it, but can you live with it? Right. right. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that we're bumping up against our hour. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? No, I think we covered it up pretty good. I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be on here today and kind of talk these things out with you two ladies. And um, 
hopefully, you know, somebody, somebody somewhere out there just driving along or walking or running or hiking or, or whatever. And, you know, gets a couple gold nuggets of advice. Yeah. That's the hope. Sam, did you have any last burning questions? I don't, I don't think so. I think in general, um, uh, thanks to your leadership in the state of Pennsylvania, but also in, you know, the Northeast and along with female hunters everywhere, thanks for just, you know, enduring the opportunity and, and advocating for others to get involved. I think if anyone walks away, like you said, hiking, biking, whatever, um, I hope you serve as an example of, of advocating for more people to get involved. I think your presence and your existence helps to contribute to that thought. And so I really just appreciate you doing what you do. Well, I appreciate you too and the platform and all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, conservation is, is a passion that we're all tied to. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're just, we're all trying to do the right thing for the resource. There's just, 72 different ways to skin that cat and we don't always <laughs> have to agree on where to start mm -hmm. very rarely do we agree on where to start but we have to agree that we need to start <laughs> so correct let's start with that yep awesome. excellent well thank you to you both uh good luck in the rest of your turkey season and please um keep me posted if you happen to to have to harvest anything we love pictures yeah likewise oh there's a trend going on with this podcast series. You talk about you need to harvest a bird, and then within a week, you harvest one. <laughs> That's true. That's true for our podcast listeners. Flora Chanto, she was a guest a while back, sent us a picture of a beautiful tom that she harvested. So, yes, apparently this this podcast is good luck. Yes. If that happens, so can I book my uh, can I book my appearance <laughs> on your podcast for next yes. season? <laughs> you know, you could book us for turkey season. You could try us for bear season. <laughs> we'll take you right. if you want to come out for elk or there's Pennsylvania elk. No. Um, absolutely. Fantastic. All right. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Thank mm -hmm. you.